It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today I'm joined with a guest from California, Walker Brandt. Hi, Walker. Hi. (laughs) Good to have you. Where did you get your name, Walker? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I have two dads, one that made me and one that raised me. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, I wanted to acknowledge them both, and I didn't want to lose my my, uh, connection to my biological dad, even though my mom would have had it another way. Yeah. (laughs) I I wanted to have a connection. So um, my first name is my stepdad's. Uh Uh-huh. My last name is my biological dad. So my middle name is Kimberly. So I love it. Yeah. That's great. It's a way That's for great. me to have control over my identity. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Walker. In March of 2020, her first book, Awaken, Discover Yourself Through the Light of Innocence, was released, sharing her journey to overcome the trauma of her youth and the anxiety it caused. Written to assist others in consciously creating a movement within happiness and success through choosing choosing to awaken, shifting their energy and a commitment to grow and expand beyond the bondage of past circumstances. Walker is a parent and has been happily married for 21 years. Walker's image and personality have been utilized in the entertainment and advertising industries for 25 years. She has appeared in international blockbuster films, TV shows, and thousands of advertising campaigns and commercials for global brands. Awaken has now reached number one international bestseller status on Amazon. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) So in all of your acting gigs, what has been your favorite? Mm. Well, um, my first audition and one and a a film that I did in, uh, in the first project, which was City Slickers, because I got to work with comedians. I got to work with Billy Crystal, Bruno Kirby. Ron Underwood, Daniel Stern. And it was the first time I had ever auditioned. It was the first time I had ever been on a film set. And it was, uh, it was kind of experience that you could, I mean, it, it was perfect because they were so engaging, so supportive and encouraging. And that's what I needed because I was not uh, a part of the business. Uh, I didn't come from, um, you know, a family of actors or the industry uh, family at all. In fact, I couldn't have been further from it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you play the, did you play the gal who was on the, who was on the trek? No, but I, I should have, according to everyone I know, because I used to raise horses. I mean, horses are my life. So, Oh, no, that's not the one I didn't, uh, that is, oh gosh, I can't remember her name. I wish I could have, but that's what all my friends are. You should have played her role because you're like your horsewoman. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I grew up with horses, but. Like I said, it was my first audition. So they weren't going to just hand a, a role that big to someone like me. <laughs> I would have loved it though. Um, but yeah, that was an amazing experience just because they just treated me just in the most welcoming, warm, engaging and supportive way. 
And, um, and my next amazing was I got to meet Nelson Mandela. Um, oh, wow. And hang out with him for uh, 45 minutes before I became president of South Africa. I did a film with Martin Sheen and it was Western that we shot in South Africa. And he invited me to go and uh, meet with Nelson. And it was one of the most profound moments and experiences of my life. It, it was life changing for me um, to meet somebody like him. Um, That's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. Okay. So what is your most embarrassing onset event? <laughs> <laughs> I know you have one. I do. I have several. Okay. The most embarrassing was when I was doing that film with Martin Sheen, the actor, and if he sees this, I apologize. I'm going to totally out you right now. Um, the actor that was playing my husband, boyfriend, rather, we had a kissing scene. Okay. And like I said, it was brand new. It was like my second film, I think. Um, and all of a sudden, he's like, you know, trying to reach my tonsils. And I'm like, oh, what? I was like pretending here. And I'm like, all of a sudden I get this look and I'm like, and it's like, you know, I'm just, what's, I was just doing the pretend thing, which is like, you know, yeah. Really I just didn't expect that it was going to be and like. And he was all in. Oh, he was all in. And he felt me like, somebody was like, oh, and he's like a very successful actor in South Africa. He's a ton of theater, super, you know, pro. And I was like, he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Walker. I just, I just, you know, and, and I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know what to do because it was just was a weird thing. It was like, is this what this is about? Am I going to have to do this? It was that <laughs> I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Nobody told me I thought this was pretend. That's funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, tell me about being a mom. Oh my goodness. Being a mom has been such an adventure for me. Um, I, I have all my kids are my stepkids. Uh, I haven't been able to have children for medical reasons. Um, as, as a young, uh, young woman, I was, I was, uh, I had a diagnosis that, that took that away. Um, but God knew God knew because my whole life I have been, um, I'm, I'm a mom anyway. I'm just mom nature. Yeah. And, uh, I've just, I have always had this connection with kids. And so I, all my roles, most of them, you know, uh, especially the commercials where I've shot just dozens and dozens. I play mom and, and uh, I was blessed to be in relation to my husband now of 21 years. I raised my stepdaughter with him and her mom's involved too. We all raised her and she's 27 now. She's my youngest. Prior to my husband, I was married and uh, I helped raise my ex's children four. And, um, and prior to that, I have been involved with helping kids, volunteering uh, for youth uh, organizations. Um, my two little sisters are 10 years younger. Um, it's just been like this thing my whole this life. This is part of who you are. It's part of who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's so cool that God blessed you with, with the desire of your heart and just ways you probably, when you were young, couldn't even imagine. 
I had no idea. I mean, I always wanted more than anything to have children. It was like a thing, you know, I just want to have kids. And, um, and, you know, my great aunties had a similar issue and they never got to have children. They were identical twins. And back in the day when they had this diagnosis, they just immediately took the, his, their, their uterus out and check this out. They took the twins uterus out just because she was a twin, figuring that the same thing would happen to her, even though she had none of the symptoms that the other twin did. Oh my. How behind medicine was back then. And even when I was going through, which is fibroids, by the way, I had symptomatic fibroids. So my uterus was never not hospitable. Exactly. It was never going to be hospitable for children. And I, I started with, um, you know, cysts when I was younger, it is a family thing, cysts, and then that turned into endometriosis. And I dealt with that for years. And I went through everything I could to try and save my uterus. I became very learned in herbology and nutrition. And uh, I just tried everything from everything preventative from um, acupuncture, all of it. For 20 years, I kept trying to save my uterus. And it was like this thing, you know, it was like, this mission, this, this, uh, quest, how am I going to save my uterus? And it just couldn't be saved. Um, it just had been through too much, uh, with wow. this. Wow. What a hard, ex- what a hard experience. That's, that's a long, hard road. I can't imagine. It was, but I got to raise kids during it. So even you did. though I was going through it, I was raising kids and I was, they were teaching me so much about love, so much about, um, the gift of being a parent so much about myself, um, us kids, you know, they are just, they're amazing. They really they're, are. They're great. We have, we have four kids. They're 25, 23, 22 and 20. So, and I have a grandbaby. I'm a grandma. Oh, yes. So, yeah. It's so fun. So people used to ask us because we liked kids. They used to ask us if we would ever think about adopting. And I said one day to somebody, they said, have you ever thought about adopting? I said, yes, but nobody will take them. (laughs) They said, said, you're so mean. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) Well, I I know it's a, there's a lot. I mean, when they were teenagers, yours are close too. They were four and five, four kids in five years. So yeah, it was a lot, but, but they sure are fun. So, so what was your childhood like? Mm. I know that's a very big question. So it's a big question. Well, I come, uh, I come from a family that struggles with alcoholism and abuse and um, just all manner of suicide, drugs, all of it. Mm. Um, And there's also members of my family that were just like my aunties that were just these beautiful beacons of light that were trying to, you know, bring that into this space um, that had so much tragedy in it. And uh, my, my, my grandmother, my mother's mother was um, brutally beaten by my grandfather. Mm. She was a domestic violence uh, victim. She eventually was killed 
Uh, she died from one of the beatings. This happened. Oh. She was like my mom um, for me because my mom had me when she was really young. My mom and had my older sister and me when she was in high school. Okay. She came from that background that I just gave you a little, it's in my book, Awaken. I, I speak of it a little bit, but I, I speak of it. It is what it, it is what created the quake. I'm sure stuff happened prior uh-huh. to their parents, but this was the, the quake that created the crack that so many fell into from the time I arrived. And so it was one of those experiences for me as a three-year-old. I spent a lot of time with my grandma from birth to three because my mom was young. She was working. She was trying to provide. She Mm -hmm. was, you know, my biological dad was, they were both in high school. They were way too young to be parents, but they were. And at that time it was, uh, it was just a different world um wasn't a lot of support uh the belief structures were a lot different and um she suffered a lot my mother did uh from was she the alcoholic yeah my mother struggled with alcoholism her whole life yeah Mm -hmm. and all all the family members um and she's you know she gets she likes to think she has a handle on it okay (laughs) and i think that a lot of people do when they drink come from a family when you have somebody that's so obviously an alcoholic, your parent is just, you know, a fifth of a fifth of booze a day. And you may have, you know, a toddy in the evening and you're like, there's nothing wrong with me. And for me, it's like, whenever you drink, if you drink every day, there was an issue, um, to, to deal with. And, you know, and, and I, and at the same time, I don't want to, you know, throw my harsh judgment on somebody who may be able to be a high functioning and manage, and they're okay with it. We all, mm-hmm. I think, have a right to live how we want to live here, as long as we're not hurting those around us and right. not causing damage. And um, and that's that's kind of where I draw the line. And and my mother's father was extraordinarily violent and difficult. And my mother's mother was also an alcoholic, um, but she came from a time when women did not have the right to say no in our society. This was, we're having, I'm having our, my, my workmates over and you are the wife you are going to entertain and you are going to do what I want you to do. This Mm -hmm. is the way it was for a lot of women. They didn't know they had a voice that they could have a voice that mad men era, you know, and that's the way it was. You home, you raise the kids, you don't have any dreams or purposes of your own other than being a mother and a wife and an arm, you know, on my arm doing what I want. And she, you know, she was very much part of that mindset, didn't know. And she was, she literally was drug to drink with him and just a terrible experience for her. And she, you know, had her own issues. Obviously I only knew her from birth to three but she was one of the sweetest people in the family. Very sweet, very kind, like her, her two twin little sisters, my only Margaret and Martha. And um, yeah. So I so she that. passed away when she was, when you were three, she passed away when I was three. And then my biological dad was gone about six months later. Wow. So I lost a, in a, year. a lot of shock to your system. When did your stepdad enter the picture? 
about six months after that. <laughs> That's a lot of change for a little person. Mm, it was very intense. It was a lot of change and it was, you know, forget him. He's your dad now because that's just the way people did things. This is how my parents were treated. So they thought mm-hmm. it was normal. Um, in that era, in that, that time in our society, what happens behind closed doors, you know, mind your P's and Q's, don't speak out. Don't, yep. don't air your dirty laundry. Don't air your dirty laundry. Exactly. So I, I, Oh, am I grateful I didn't grow up when they did? Um, and even when I was growing up, it was still very new, but nothing like that. I had right. access to more and I had a different mindset. I was very outspoken as a child to the point of my own detriment. I was the one that always said, no, you can't yeah. do this. And then I would just get humbled. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it just was what it was. I just, I had a voice and I was not going to be suppressed. And so now where we are in our world, it's pretty amazing to me. And I love to see that kids feel more supported and having a and, voice. And that women and people of color feel like they're gaining their voice, um, I think is an amazing thing for my children's generation to be a part of and to see. I think that's um, not the world that I was raised in. Um, and so it's pretty cool to see that too. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what's happening just our lifetime from mm-hmm. what our parents went through. And it just lasted for so long, the women as a, almost a second-class citizen. And then the, you know, the seventies, the re- hippie revolution, the love revolution, the all these, and then all the destruction that came from that and, and, you know, the pulling back in. And then now with technology, what that's given the exposure, people saying, I'm not going to hide. And there's, there's a double side to everything, you know, it's not like yeah. perfect. Now there's another responsibility, you know, but- you know, I saw this, um, um, this, diagram or this, uh, this chart, um, when the change of administration came in and not to make a political statement, but it was the lady presidents and it went through and said, this one was not allowed to vote. This one was not allowed to have a credit card. This one wasn't allowed to get a lease in her name. And then it went all the way up to Kamala, of course. And I think that's what we're saying is just to watch the progression, um, and how rapidly now it's, it's happening. It's real, um, it's gratifying to be a part of that. It absolutely is. I mean, when you think in the sixties, a woman couldn't open a bank account without having her husband co-sign. Right. Right. And my, my friends were born in the sixties. So, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. It was just truly, but yeah. So, so, uh, at eventually it just, you know, it was just a very unstable childhood. There was just a yeah. lot of as a Vietnam vet was he just recently passed. And, and you said he was, he was traumatized by what he had seen there. Yes. He was severely traumatized and he was also violent and, um, he just had a lot of wounds. Boy, did he have a lot of wounds he went through. He's a decorated war hero. Um, and, uh, you know, I have such compassion for our our military. I mean, I just want war to be, can we get over it, please? Can we just stop as a human family hurting each other? Because what these guys go through, um, 
for the sake of others is and to others. It's right. this tragedy. And the cost, the cost can't be measured. I mean, it's, it's just immeasurable. It is immeasurable. It is immeasurable. And yeah, he went through one of the worst battles of Vietnam and um, he just didn't even talk about it ever until recently, until just the last several years, we had phone conversations, but we went through years, my parents and I of not being able to speak or be around each other. Um, because I'm just this reflection. And for the longest time, I so wanted them to heal with me. I so wanted them to be a part of my journey into opening myself up and letting go of all the pain. And I, and prior to that, I just wanted them to apologize. Yeah. I wanted them to say, I'm sorry. And you know what? Not everybody understands or see things the way that you do. They, Mm -hmm. even though they recognize, and he did several different times, different ways for them, the reverberation is back to what they went through. Well, it's something that we went through and we accepted our parents. Why can't you? Yeah. It's like, "Mm, because if I accept that in you, and if we don't walk this walk, then I'm somehow going to think it's okay in some way. And I, my kids are never going to know this is okay in any way. They're always going to know that they're loved and that I care about them. There's never going to be a violent moment in my kids experience. Right. And And we don't want to, we don't want to leave a sense with our kids of either complicity or of heritage with them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I wanted to tell that story differently. I wanted to be able to share it But you know what? There's a point where you wake up and go, this is my journey. They have theirs. It's not a kind thing for even me to expect them to walk my journey. I'm inviting them on it, but they don't want to be invited. And I got to be okay with that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So was was that part of, of writing the book for you? Was it was it a letting go of your story? Some of it was, yes. For the longest time, I had this book in me, um, and I was always afraid. So, Jill, one of the things that I share in this book that I never told anyone about my past up until this book. My agents, nobody knew that I came from where I came from. Nobody knew that I was a runaway at 15. Nobody knew that I was, you know, emancipated at 16. I left home at 15. I never returned. Nobody had any of that information. They thought, you know, people tend to look at you and go, oh, you're, you must have had a good life. Or the fact that I, because I dove so deep into therapy, so deep into my personal development and growth, started giving myself all the parenting that I could possibly give myself. It created, I created a, a, a healing within myself Mm -hmm. because I asked, and this is what I, I asked God. And I think, I think God all the time for just giving me the gift of, of asking and then giving mm-hmm. me the ears to hear mm-hmm. and the mind to want and the energy and the determination to go after what I wasn't taught to, to right. value the love that I didn't experience. I didn't experience unconditional love. Every bit of love I ever experienced was conditional my whole life. Mm-hmm. It was just really, really intense conditions. And 
corporal punishments. And, and, and so I didn't know what love was and I wanted to know it was such a big, it was, it was my main seeking goal was I want to know what love is. And so I sought for it out in nature. Did you, did you feel like if you let your story out that people would judge you on its merit rather than where you were? Oh my gosh. I was so afraid that if I ever told this story that my, first of all, my, my agents and and people in the business would just think that I was a huge mess and you know, they would like, oh my gosh, she's not this person, you know, that we all see her as, you know, I don't know why. I, well, I do know why. What it is, is when you come from that background, you have shame. You mm-hmm. feel a sense of absolutely, shame and you just don't know how to process it. And I compartmentalized it and was chipping away. And I, I write about it in the book. At first, it was like a pickaxe. I was there like an archaeologist going, I'm going in. And I went into young therapy. I'm like, okay, I'm going in and I'm going in and I'm just going to find that, that bone yep. <laughs> and with it. And, uh, and so, and then it became more the brush it became more of the brush and it became more, I became a little more gentle with myself, especially when I started raising kids, the Mm -hmm. gentle, that's when I became, I saw that I couldn't go after myself that way because if I was doing it to myself, I would be doing it to others. I couldn't really just dive in too deep, too fast. Right. I would be not available to others. I'd be too in my stuff. So, and it's a lot of work when you go through the stuff I had lived through. It was a lot to go through. And Absolutely. So, I have so. some similar background and, um, and it is a lot and, you know, nobody t- t- teaches a little person that shame has carried guilt and that you're carrying somebody else's stuff. And, um, and so it's, that's a learned response. So I'm curious, did you feel like your fear of being judged on your background, um, was justified? Is that the way the industry works? Um, well, the industry can be extraordinarily supportive and extraordinarily ruthless. It was a chance um, that I wasn't willing to take at the time because I sensed my own vulnerability. I was okay. still, I was able to create such a level of success by not sharing where I came from that it became like, oh, I can't share it now because okay. I, the success came from them not knowing. They don't know that I'm dealing with this on the inside. And right. I, you didn't want to flip the script mid, mid. <laughs> exactly. Mid journey. So, and I also didn't know, Jill, if doing that was going to unleash something in me that was being contained and giving me the ability to create. And there was right. so much. I mean, when you're on your own as a 15 year old and you're, you got to provide for yourself, you got to feed yourself, you, you, you do what you need to do to survive. And you, you don't realize you're caging some parts of yourself because right. you start to judge your own experiences based on this limited perspective of what yeah. you experienced. So, so how did you survive as a teenager? Well, um, I ran away from where my parents lived in, in Southern California. And uh, fortunately, I, have a, I had a friend, she called me or she called the day before and just happened to call me. We went to a private school. I was removed from my family at one point 
in protective custody and I went, uh, was put in a school for high risk kids and difficult kids. Um, and I lived there for a year. And, uh, and then when I came home, it was okay for a while, then it got crazy again. And um, I became very suicidal. And, uh, and I, and so I called my, my, one of my friends from that school and she lived in LA and I said, I, I, I can't be here. I got to get out of here. And she came and picked me up. I stayed with her. And then, uh, she introduced me to a friend. I stayed with her for just a short period of time that got crazy. She came, she had a, lived in a very dangerous area. There were some drive-by shootings and it just became very scary. Her, she had some friends that were gang members and she was trying to escape that herself. It was a very scary environment. And so I got really nervous about being there. And she had introduced me to a friend of hers she went to school with. She goes, I think you're going to get along with this guy really, really well. His name's Steve. He's super sweet. He's a real gentleman. And uh, we're going to go out and hang out tonight. And so she was kind of setting us up. And so I wasn't going to be set up with anyone. I was just a kid. But what happened was I met his parent. I met his mom. She was a divorced single mom, two kids, and her mother lived with them. And she heard my story and she invited me to live with them and she wow. took me off the street. So it was one of those experiences. And then my parents found out where I was and then they called the police and the police took me away. And then I had to go through a terrible experience of being taken away and put into a house and being in danger and yeah. escaping and running down the street and hiding my stuff. And, you know, it's a scary thing for a kid on the street. And my story's nothing like what so many kids that I've, I've worked with and, and talked to that have been on the streets for years. Well, you know, and kids who are traumatized young, um, you know, we, we hold that trauma in our bodies until it's healed and released. And so being in an unsafe neighborhood adds to that trauma because you already don't feel safe in your own environment. So, um, and then you add things like, um, you know, the police coming and taking you and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I had that happen and was in foster care and, um, it just, it just, compounds that trauma until you're, until you're ready to excavate it, you know, and, um, it's, it, it, you know, it can develop, um, it can develop empathy and understanding and compassion, and it can develop a really hard crust too. Um, so, um, I think, I think it can do both depending on, depending on where you're at. So, so you say as a child, you always felt like there was a God influence though. So even in the midst of all of that craziness, God was somehow present for you. Explain that. Yes. Just, there was just a feeling inside me. I knew from as far back as I can remember, especially when I was alone, I always talked to myself talked to God is what I felt like I was talking to my dad and it was my, my, my father. And as I grew and matured and understood what was happening is I always felt that's what carried me through the worst of it is when I felt fatherless in the world of fathers, I never felt fatherless. Mm. I didn't need that. I wasn't desperate for the physical father because I felt I always had my father with me. There was this, as a first and second grader, I would go running out of the classroom to the farthest end of the field. And my, I, I look at the, the, some of the stuff, my, my records my mother saved from when I was a 
tiny kid and man, I was an oddball. Teachers didn't know what to do with me because I, I couldn't look in it at anyone. I was so, I built a shield around my desk of books with a hole in it. So I couldn't because I, I sucked my finger because it was mm. pacifier. I did, you know, so kids that go through stuff, they have something and I, I, I right. couldn't help me sucking my finger. It was like a thing for a long time. And I was just had that chain carry. And, uh, and so was, I, I, w- I wouldn't be able to look at other kids. I was just very introverted. And then when I left the room, I ran out to the end of the field and I would just lay on the ground and talk to God. <laughs> She's out there talking to herself again. <laughs> what is she doing? <laughs> you know, and, you know, a creative kid. I used to make things. There's just this, but this was my thing in nature, especially. I had a connection with animals and God. I knew my aunties taught me, you know, the Bible and the, she, they read the Bible, but they always taught me God is in this words or in this book. They taught me how to pray when I was little, but they, they always shared God in creation, you know, um, that, you know, the kitties made by God. And so for me, when I would go out into nature, I spent so much time alone as a little girl because we lived in the mountains for a period of time in Santa Barbara. And um, that was my only way to escape. And I used my imagination to create a different world. I'm sure my mom will still laugh even to this day because up until adult years, I would say, are you sure I'm not adopted? (laughs) (laughs) I have this whole scenario in my mind. (laughs) I can't be from this family, but but I I am. She's my mother. (laughs) But it was... (laughs) Uh, yeah, one of those things. So I did. I felt God in nature, and I always talked to God about, "Tell me about that Sally and salamanders. Tell me about that snake." And I had this ability to just go up to snakes, pick up snakes, pick up ooh, rattlesnakes. Ooh, not me. Yeah, like fully dangerous ones as a kid. I did things that my mother was like, "What are you doing?" But I wasn't. You know, I I think um, the fact that you had that God-shaped hole in you. Um, probably preserved a part of your life that could have been, could have been killed otherwise. Um, and I feel that way about myself. I feel like I always kind of had this understanding that, you know, God was, God was God and people were people and they weren't the same thing, but God was good and would just keep, keep moving, you know, but I think that saved that, that retained a part of my soul that I think, um, the world tried to crush. Yes, no question. Absolutely. And again, I think also what you're saying, uh, I love how you express that, that, that God-filled hole. Is that what you said? Who God- A God-shaped hole, yeah. God-shaped hole, yes, God-shaped hole. Because I'm seeing it, I'm very visual, so I'm seeing, you know, this beautiful. And it's true. Um, asking, though, and, and seeing it, feeling it, and then pursuing it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm so grateful for, because you're right. The, the, the softness that I have that doesn't exist in others in my family is because I dove into that. Yeah. yeah I dove into absolutely. that God-shaped hole there. And I said, I'm going there because I don't, and I, and there was a time when people used to say, man, you have such armor. Well, yeah, it was, I was like your typical kid who didn't trust, mm-hmm. but there was always that inside of me, that soft place that I could go into that yeah. I needed, I was safe there. And 
uh, to not feel safe. I mean, it's Maslow's hierarchy. It's a base human need. Yeah. We got to feel safe. I never felt safe as a kid ever. Yeah. I just never did. And, but God, with God, I always felt safe. Even in nature yeah. with dangerous animals, Jill, even with rattlesnakes, with, you know, I grew up in the mountains for a period. There were mountain lions. There were all manner of dangerous things. I spent hours and hours go outside, be back before dark. Yeah. But that old. was, that was your safe place. Yes. So I didn't fear yeah. anything out there because everything out there was God shaped to me. Right. <laughs> That's so cool. So your book is called awaken, discovering yourself through the light of innocence. What, tell me about that title. Okay. So what that title means to me, like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to share a, a quote with you uh, that you probably know that Christ said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whoever shall not receive whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I first heard that really young, seven years old with a lady who really opened up my consciousness to the gift that I have inside the connection with God. She asked me, have you ever asked Christ to be in your heart? And at that time, I didn't remember. I'm sure I did with my aunties, but I didn't remember at that time. And I said, I don't know. And she said, would you like to with me? And we were just, it was random. She was a lady I'd never met before. We were at a family wedding. And I just happened to go run an errand with her. She pulled over and she said, say these words after me. And I said the words and she shared a bit of that with me. She said, it's children like you that enter the kingdom of God. It's who you are. You are in the kingdom of God. You are the kingdom of God. It was like this beautiful mantra. Yeah. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing to hear at that time because I was really suffering at that time. And that is a moment when I read that, it makes me, it brings me so close to Jesus as my brother, as all of our brother under God, as our savior and brother who's teaching us, remember you, your connection to your innocence no matter what mm. you've been through, that connection, that innocence is never gone. It is God in you. It is the light in you. It is where you heal. It is where you discover. It is where you live. It is your meaning and purpose. It is your freedom. Mm -hmm. And to remember that. And as, as, a, as adults, as we grow, I mean, we start to, sometimes we forget how to be the adventurer, how to be the discoverer. I mean, have you ever had a moment where you're just like, I'm afraid to do that. Well, when we're kids, we don't go, I'm not afraid to walk. I'm sorry. I'm not right. doing this today. I'm not, <laughs> not going to climb that. <laughs> I'm not climbing that. I, I'm really not going to try that. I'm not going to No, We don't do that because we have that innocence in us. We trust the world. We're looking at it and we see that, especially when we have a family, like the way you and your husband have obviously raised your kids where you teach them that you're safe, you're, there's a place mm -hmm. to discover. So I got that in nature. And that is what that, that, 
that's an admonition to remind us to connect to that innocence. That's how we rewrite our stories. That's how I did is that innocence. It's also where I saw my parents and my grandparents from and was able to truly forgive and release and see that I saw them from that light when I really dove in and connected with it and recognized I have a right to my innocence. Nothing I've been through mm-hmm. takes that away from me. It is God within me. It is not removable. It is not uh, alterable. It is always and forever infinite inside of me and everyone else. And when we connect to it, the creativity that comes from that, I mean, look at God's creativity. There's a normal yeah. and an armadillo and, you know, <laughs> and, and, the, and the universe. It's like, it's huge and funny and irreverent and creative. So, um, so yeah, so that's what discovering yourself through the light of your innocence is, is because when you go back into that space, no matter what it is, no matter what you've been through, there's comfort there. This right. is more powerful than anything you've been through in this space of physical, because our light is endless, infinite, forever. And it's what you're powerful. saying, what you're saying is just shifting that perspective from from this broken adult, hardened adult, um, wounded, and and shifting it back to that innocence that we are all gifted with as children. I love that. That's really beautiful. So is the book available on Amazon? It is available on Amazon. It's okay. It's paperback. I made it really inexpensive. So is um, now if people want to get a hold of you, do you have a website? I do walker at walkerbrandt.com. Okay, Uh, great. Well, we will link that in the show notes. Walker, it's been um, just a privilege to talk to you and, and just chit chat and hear your national park adventures, which we didn't share here, but (laughs) we'll just, we'll just leave people hanging. Yes, just leave them hanging. I'm going to Wyoming in a week and there may be more. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to talk with you and um, we'll let people know how they can get a hold of you. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Jill. It's been such a pleasure. My goodness. Have a wonderful rest of the day and weekend. You too. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast today. You can follow Jill on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, jillreilly.author, and on Twitter, jillreillyauthor. Email jill at jillreilly.org.